Uh, good morning. My name is Brian Sorgan Fry. Uh, as Les has already said, this is RUF Sunday. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and I love these Sundays. Uh, it uh, it's really encouraging to me and my family uh, because if you don't know this, uh, RUF has been on the campus of Ole Miss since the late seventies, one of the first ones, and. Christ Prez uh, has always been extremely supportive. Um, y'all give to us, y'all love our college students, um, and this is just one way for us to say thank you and to get a little picture of what's going on, on the campus uh, through your ministry, uh, even though now it's going on virtually, uh, it's still happening. So, uh, thanks. Um, all right, here's what I wanted to open with. Um, what do you think about if you ever had one of those moments where somebody knows you so well that they can actually read you, even when you didn't want them to. Uh, like maybe your mom growing up, for me, uh, there were times when I wanted to hide the truth from my mom. Uh, maybe there's something I did I wish that she didn't know about. And even when I walked in the room, eventually my mom would look at me and say, what's wrong? Like, what's going on? How did she always know that something was up with me? Well, it's because she knows me so well. It's because she, she knows and loves me so truly that anytime there was something off, she just recognized it. She knows that, well, that, that's not how normally Brian looks. And see, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to drop into this uh, small letter, Colossians. The Apostle Paul, he writes it from jail. Uh, he writes it to this younger church that actually Paul, is, he's never even met. And it's just filled with this encouragement that they need to know Jesus Christ, that he's supreme. And see, what was happening to this young church was just starting to be bombarded with stuff. Uh, it's starting to be bombarded with hard circumstances. There was suffering coming to that church, like was happening in every church in uh, early Christianity. There also appeared to be kind of false teaching that was infiltrating the church. Um, and here's what I love about this passage that, uh, that Glenn read for us. Is I think what Paul's doing is he's saying, look, the best thing that you can do, no matter whether it's a confusing situation, no matter whether it's like false teaching that's coming at you, the best thing that you can do is to know Jesus, to see the beauty and supremacy of Jesus. Because then you will know what, what God is like. Because then when there's anything that's off, you might not be able to identify it, you might not say, oh, there, there, there's the particular heresy, but you'll say, ah, that, that doesn't feel like Jesus. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem like who God is. And so when you're pounded with information while in isolation or you're just overwhelmed with what's going on, Paul would say, I want you to know the Lord so that if anything feels like it's not him, if anything seems like it's, it's off kilter, you'll recognize it. And so really on RUF Sunday, what, what we're going to do this morning is what RUF does every week, is we're going to try to look at and set our hope on Jesus. So whether you're kind of a skeptic tuning in this morning, whether you're a Christian and can't remember a day that you didn't know some of this stuff, the best thing you can do is be confronted with Jesus. So Michael Reeves has this great little book called Rejoicing in Christ, and what he says is this, Christian life and Christian theology must begin and end with Jesus Christ, our Savior and our goal. And so that's all I want to do this morning, is, is, is to do what the Apostle Paul is asking us to do, which is to look at and behold Jesus. So three things. We're going to look at Jesus and see what God is like. 
we're going to look at Jesus and see what humanity is like. And we're going to look at Jesus and see hope. So see what God is like, see what um, humanity is like, and we're going to find hope. First, look at Jesus and see what God is like. This, this is what Paul's doing in verse 15 through 17 and 19. He says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Paul is saying that everything that makes up who God is, Jesus is. He's the perfect mirror of the life and character of God. He's the exact representation of the being of God. God himself made visible. Everything that makes God God, Christ is the exact image. Verse 19, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And see, this is why this, is why this can be so important. Because if you're like me, we've been living in strange circumstances. Uh, and when you're in forced isolation, it can become a breeding ground for a lot of uh, questions and reflection, which, which can be a very good thing. But when you start taking in all this information about death and disease and uh, maybe somebody even you know has been perf- personally affected, and you really start to reflect and you start thinking things like, okay, is God really good? Because if God is good and if God is all-powerful, then why all this mess? There's clearly disease. There's clearly death. There's clearly evil in this world. If God were good and all-powerful, I don't think he would allow it. This makes no sense. And see, we take that question, and when we go into our imagination and think, what is God like? What is a good, wise, and powerful God like? And we begin with our imagination. We form a picture We end up with an abstract idea of who God is. And we say, yeah, that doesn't fit. But what Paul is saying is, no, no, no. Don't begin with your imagination. Don't even begin with circumstances to project your ideas on who God is. Look at Jesus. Jesus is what God is like. He's exactly God. He's He's the invisible God made visible. And so when you start with God revealed in Jesus and not our own imagination, because our imagination is going to conceive of a God that isn't real, but when I look at Jesus, I say, oh, here's what God's like. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's pushing back disease. He's pushing back the curse. He's healing lepers and blindness. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's confronting evil, stopping women being oppressed, casting out demons. When I look at Jesus, I see there is no evil in God. There's no darkness in him at all. He's pure. He's pure love. He's pure goodness. And then he goes to the cross and he suffers and he allows evil and Satan and evil systems and whatever to to come on himself and kill him. That's what God is like. He hates evil more than I do. He longs to see a world healed of all disease and all distortion more than I do, so much so that he actually absorbs it on himself so as to defeat it. And so when I see that Jesus is what God is like, that he's the image of the invisible God, I realize, okay, God's not a tradition. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's real. He's real. And he's the one who let himself be destroyed by evil and disease so as to heal us and cleanse us. And so it's not that our imaginations are bad. It's just apart from Jesus, we're going to conceive of a God that isn't real. Let them be fixed on God revealed in Christ. 
So my, um, my friend Seth Steele uh, uses this analogy that I found helpful. Um, you know how an oil filter works? Uh, actually, honestly, I don't really know. Every time I go uh, get my oil changed, they tell me I need a new oil filter and I just trust them. But apparently what the oil filter do, does is if it actually works is uh, oil runs through your filter into the engine, right? And it, it catches anything and filters out anything that isn't pure oil so that the only thing running through your engine is pure oil. And see, what I think Paul is telling us is that every person needs a Jesus filter in their life. That any conception or any idea or any um, information that comes your way, whether that is through teaching, whether that's through our own fears and imaginations, it needs to run through this Jesus filter so that everything that is unlike Jesus gets filtered out. And we see that, oh, Jesus is what God is like. Jesus is the Im image of the invisible God. And Paul goes on to say he's the firstborn of all creation, which is an ancient Near Eastern uh, term because the firstborn received all the inheritance, all the blessing from the Father. And this is saying that all of creation is Jesus' inheritance, that by Him all things were created, through Him all things were created, and for Him. And again, this is, just, this is impossible to wrap your mind around, that everything you see, Everything was made for and through Christ. And it's being upheld by Him. The sun came into existence because of the creative power of Christ. You know, there, there are news stories saying that now, because essentially the whole world is quarantined, that people are seeing things they've never seen before. Like, people can see the Himalayas in ways they've never seen before. That was created by Christ. The reason the earth is resolving around the sun is because Christ is upholding it. Our hearts are beating right now because Christ. The grass is green because Christ imagined it that way. Everything, every being, every, every bee in the sky, every banana, every being owes its existence uh, to the creating and upholding power of Christ. And then Paul says, not just visible, everything invisible, all powers, all rulers, all authorities, things, things so small you can't even see. All angels, spiritual forces of darkness, anything and everything owes its existence to Jesus. Now look, things are deeply corrupted, like Satan. Uh, and e like God didn't create evil. God didn't create cor uh, corruption. Those things come elsewhere. But, but don't mistake it. Everything is under Jesus' authority. It's under His control. And so as Paul is describing uh, all these things that Jesus has authority over, really what he's doing is he's describing the things that the Colossian church would have feared at that time as they were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. All right, and so Paul is, imagine Paul from jail saying, yeah, this Roman Empire that's persecuting me, yeah, it, it's upheld by Jesus. And see, Paul lists powers and rulers, all the things that Colossians were afraid of, and saying they are under his authority. And so now we're getting practical, right? And uh, Les talked about some of this last week when it comes to fear. But how many things are you and I afraid of? Or how many things uh, threaten us? I mean, man, tons. And a lot of them have gotten exposed lately. Illness, uh, disease, rejection, isolation, um, losing things. Fill in the blank. And what Paul is saying is, hey, Jesus is what God is like. We have to learn to look at our fears through Jesus. Because He's reality. He's the creator and upholder. So, my friend Ricky Jones, 
uh, who a lot of this uh, is borrowed from him, but he, he used this idea, and I realized that I actually do it with my kids, and some of you probably do something like this, where um, you really can only do this uh, when they're young, but uh, like Clark right now, um, we had this conversation the other day, right? Still in an age, and like many of us, uh, gets scared uh, when he's going to bed. And you can try to explain away all the fears uh, that you want as a parent. It doesn't really work. But here's what kind of works is when you can look as a dad at your son, you can say, hey, you see these muscles, right? It doesn't matter whether you have muscles or not. Uh, your son thinks you're, you're huge. You say, yeah, those things that, that you're scared of, they're real. But do you think anything could actually get through this to get to you, son? Do you think anything could come through me? And at least at six, they look at their dad and they say, no way. That's right. Nothing gets through me at all to you. The only thing that can touch you is if I let it come through me because I love you. And see, that's what Paul is saying. The scriptures are utterly realistic. It doesn't deny that there are scary things in this world. COVID is scary. Losing a job is scary. There are things to be afraid of that are visible and invisible. But Colossians says, look at Jesus. Look at him. There's so much corrupted in this world, but Jesus is bigger. And nothing, nothing gets by him without his permission. His muscle's too big. I know that doesn't answer every question about bad things happening in this world, but it's saying this is the reality you can rest in. Nothing gets by Jesus without his permission, without his overseeing, and he is pure love. So first, and really the longest, is Jesus shows us what God is like. Look at him. But second of all, when we look at Jesus, we see what humanity is like. We see what humanity is like, verse 20 and 21. You see, when I look at Jesus, we also begin to see some bad news. Because you begin to see what humanity and the world is like. Right, here's what I mean. The teaching of the Bible is that Jesus made everything. Everything's upheld by him. We've talked about that. And Adam, the first human made in God's image, rebelled. And in him, we also rebelled. And everything was corrupted. Everything came unhinged, fractured. So the world is full of violence and lying and disease and selfishness and death. You could say everything is alienated, fractured, and needs to be reconciled, which is what verse 20 says Jesus is doing. And I do think, I think particularly in kind of this crazy pandemic, everybody starts, everybody at least recognizes this world is broken. We, like we, we cannot live like this forever. But here's what I think Paul would say. The best way to see what the world is like is to look at Jesus. Because when I look at Jesus, it becomes crystal clear. And here's what verse 23 says, that we start seeing that the world is, is alienated. It's hostile. It's doing evil. And we kind of read that and say, well, okay, is that talking about the world out there? Is that talking about me? And it's both. And then we say, well, that seems over the top. What do you, what do you mean I'm hostile towards God? Well, look at Jesus. Like, do a little thought experiment with me. What do you honestly think would happen if God himself, who is love, who is purity, showed up in the world, 
What do you think would happen if the one who made all things, because he loves all things, upholding all things, his pure love came into this world to reconcile and to heal the world? That if goodness itself showed up in the world and, and he was here to destroy all evil, heal all corruption, love everyone perfectly, what do you think would happen? Well, we actually know. When God shows up in the flesh in Jesus, you know what humanity did? It rejected him, it mocked him, and we eventually hung him on a cross and killed him. That is, that's humanity's natural attitude towards God. And when we look at Jesus, we see it. That there's hostility, that we're enemies, that we do evil deeds, that our natural state apart from Jesus is hostility. And this is where we got to remember that hostility towards God, it, it can actually take two forms. Yes, on the one hand, it can look like a full life of you know, greed and immorality and violence, kind of out, outwardly, violently rebelling against God, right? I'm going to do whatever I want. But also, hostility towards God, it's just simply a refusal to live before God as He is. So there's hostility towards God when when I project my own image of God onto Him. And anytime we take a position that I'm smarter or wiser or better than God, that at the end of the day is hostility because I'm not living before Him as He is. And hasn't the pandemic kind of exposed that hostility perhaps in you? It has in me. That, that when life begins to feel out of control, when I don't feel like I'm in control, that my efforts, my wisdom is not enough, I, I don't find myself always resting in Jesus. I find myself raging or, or jealous or forming a picture in my head of a God who doesn't care. And that's all hostility. And so when we look at Jesus, we actually begin to see that humanity is, is hostile, that we're so unlike Him. So when we look at Jesus, we see what God is like. When we look at Jesus, we see what humanity is like. But man, when we look at Jesus, finally, we, we actually see hope. This is verse 18 through 22. When you look further and deeper into the passage, that just is amazing verses exalting Christ, you see that there's always hope. Always. Because Paul is saying, look at, look at what God is like. Watching. And the reason the poem, that most people think this is a poem, that Paul writes, spends so much describing the fact that Jesus is God, the one who upholds all things, the one who has all power, is so that you could begin to feel the depths that Jesus goes to, to reconcile all things to himself. Verse 20, look how far Jesus went. Look at his humility. He becomes a man, and not just any man, he becomes a poor man, lives in poverty. He ate, he slept, he got tired, he got diseases, he suffered, he drank, he cried, he laughed. He was in a finite, created human body with a unique DNA. It's mind-boggling. When you look at Jesus, you see he's truly God and he's truly human. But it doesn't just end there. The passage keeps pushing you till you get to the point where you read the words, making peace by the blood of the cross. Follow the pattern. Like, this is astounding. If Jesus is the image of the invisible God, he shows us exactly what God is like. And the scriptures tell us the supreme revelation of God. You, you know where the supreme revelation of God is? 
where you can really see what God is like? Well, it's the event in all the Gospels that take up the most room. Like, it doesn't matter whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Do you know the single event that the Scriptures spend the most time to describing? It's the last week of Jesus' life. Him being arrested, beaten, and hung on a cross and then resurrected. Every Gospel writer is saying, this is what we want you to see. This is what it's all driving to. That the one who made all things is dying. The one who holds all things together is being torn apart. This is a big deal. The supreme revelation of God is Jesus on a cross, naked, beaten, bloody, scorned by the world, and crying out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, and then saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why the Apostle Paul in another one of his letters is going to say, I preach Christ crucified, because that's what God's like. One researcher said that Christianity is the only religion that has its primary focus, think about this, as the the degradation and suffering of God himself. Like, that's amazing. The one who was crucified as a criminal and offered the body of his flesh through death is the goal of creation's entire existence. That's who he is. He is one who suffers with but ultimately for us. And that's what's being pushed on us this morning. Do you see God for who He is? The depths that He would go to win us back, who are enemies, who are hostile. Because Jesus on a cross, it really does mean reconciliation. It means hope. Because Jesus is hanging on a cross for you. He loves His enemies. He loves people who are hostile towards Him. All that sin, all that shame that we produce, all that stuff that's, that's ripping our, our families, our lives, and our world apart, He takes it on Himself and He lets Himself be ripped apart. And He gets destroyed by it. Why? So you could be His. So you could be forgiven. So He could dwell with you in peace by His blood. And I think, oddly enough, like this morning you get that reality a little more. Because, I mean, all of us are kind of feeling the, the, the picture of alienation uh, from each other. Uh, I mean, I miss seeing my RUF students. I imagine some of you are just like longing to like hug your grandkids and hold them. Uh, we want the walls of the quarantine to come down because you can't be close to people uh, that you love with something separating you. And see, what the cross of Jesus means, the supreme revelation of God, is He has torn down the wall of hostility. It's Him doing what must be done if He's going to be close to us. He absorbs the penalty of our sin. It's, it's taking, he takes upon Himself all guilt and all shame so that He can be near us and with us. That's what God is like. But Jesus on the cross also means a resurrected new humanity. Right? Verse 18, He is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, and that everything He might be preeminent. See, Colossians is saying not only is Jesus the agent behind creation, he's also the agent behind the new creation that is the head of the church, that he has taken people and made them new by by attaching them to him. He's the new humanity. So when you look at Jesus, he's not only what God is like, this is what's amazing, he's also what God is going to make humanity to be like. 
He's what he's going to make us, transform us to be. So when you look at verse 22, right, it says that Jesus has a purpose. He lived, was rejected, died, and resurrected. Why? To present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Do you realize how crazy that is? Like, I, again, I've been living with my family closer than I ever have for the past four weeks. And, uh, you know, this is from Ricky. But if, if I wore a T-shirt around my house this week that all it said was holy, blameless, and above reproach, my wife would laugh me out of the house. Because that's not, that's not what I am. But Paul is saying, actually, if you're in Christ, it is who you are. Because on the cross, His work becomes yours. His purity becomes yours. His righteousness becomes yours. So that in Him, you are holy, blameless, without reproach. And we say that sounds too good to be true. But see, Paul would say, ah, don't fashion, a, don't fashion an image of God in your own hand. Look at Jesus. It's not too, too good to be true. It's all of grace. So I'll kind of bring it to close with um, this R.C. Sproul story. Um, R.C. Sproul, kind of famous pastor, uh, theologian, he talks about when uh, he was in college, uh, his mom finally gave him money to go buy a car. Um, it wasn't much. Uh, his, his dad had actually passed away. and uh, So he had this envelope full of cash, and she said, now I want you to go see this dealership, and I want you to go see this man. And so uh, he goes to that dealership. He goes to and asks for the man. We'll call him Jim. And he says, Jim, hey, you know, um, I'm so-and-so Sproul, and my mom sent me to buy a new car. And Jim says, all right, well, what, what would you like? He says, well, you know, all I've got this amount of cash. And he, he takes the envelope, doesn't even look at it, and says, that's perfect. That'll cover it. He says, what, so what would you like? How, how, about a, how about a new Thunderbird? And he goes, and he gets this bright red Thunderbird, and he, he brings it out front. And R.C. says, well, yeah, I would love that, but I, I, I can't afford that. He says, ah, oh, come on, come on, let's get in. And, you know, how's it feel? And he makes him feel behind the steering wheel, and they turn it on. He makes it start driving, and, and he says, well, this is awesome. And he says, it's yours. And R.C. says, like, how can that be? And the guy looked at him, and he said this. This is the, right, the salesman. He said, look, your dad, when I was in real trouble years ago, he stood up for me. I actually could have ended up in jail. My life ruined, but I, but, but I didn't because of your dad, and I owe your dad everything. He said, I'm sorry that your dad died uh, at such a young age that you barely knew him and how great he was, but this is my gift to your dad. And what R.C. said looking back is he realized that his dad's righteousness got imputed to him. That everything, that, every way that his dad lived and all the goodness, it just came to him, and he received the reward for it. This is how it works. Jesus doesn't just take our condemnation and our hostility. He does. He shares himself. He gives us his fullness, his righteousness. And in him you stand holy and above reproach. And then one day, someday, you will actually fully be the way that God has promised you to be, like him, radiating glory. That's why Paul ends by saying, don't shift from this hope, this Jesus, because here's reconciliation. Here's a new humanity. So this is what's being held out this morning. This is kind of what we have presented every week at RUF. This is what Christ Press presents for you, that when God shows up in the form of Jesus, he hangs on a cross and he dies and then is resurrected. But it changed Saul to Paul, and it can actually change you. And I'm telling you, it's only the reality of Jesus that will do it. Because the day is coming, if it hasn't come yet, and all this craziness, where like the, 
the Christian platitudes just don't work anymore. They're kind of like, oh, well, God has a plan. And I mean, all that is true. But what you need to sustain you is that there was a God who became man. And that historicity, that he died and he rose again and he got out of the grave, that has to become an anchor for you. Because it's not a good night story. He's real and he's for you. And it's not real because you feel it or some circumstance or because somebody told you. It's Paul saying, behold Christ, the image of the invisible God. Behold Christ, by him all things were created. Behold Christ, where the one who the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and to reconcile all things by the blood of his cross. Do you see him? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, I do uh, ask that you would help us to see Jesus. Um, Paul pens these incredible verses to help us to see the supremacy and beauty of Jesus, but, even, but honestly, no words can capture fully who you are. So would you uh, this morning uh, drop uh, by your spirit some good news into us so that through the circumstances and through the fear and, and uh, through even our sin, we can see Jesus crucified and it bring hope to us in our homes. In your son's name I pray. Amen.